What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Clee Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. My name is Bob. I'm your host. I'm hanging out talking Cleveland sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's up, man? Not much, Bob. Very good weekend this weekend. Pretty stressful after seeing that Big Ten championship game, but I am definitely very happy that with the results of the college football playoff. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, you, I mean, you seem to be like the only person worried about it. Um, everything I read wasn't really will Ohio State be in. It was will the Big Ten send two teams to the to the playoff team. But um, I think Penn State definitely uh, applied some pressure with the way they came back in, in that Big Ten title game. Um, yeah, it, it might, that debate might have been a little bit closer than what we uh, uh, had anticipated it to be, for sure. Um, all right, well, let's get, get into it. I mean, Ohio State uh, announced in, in that pool uh, of college football playoff teams, Alabama ranked one, Clemson two, OSU three, and then Washington rounding out uh, as that fourth seed team. Ohio State, the first non-conference uh, champion to uh, be in the college football playoff. Obviously, it's still a young thing going on. This is only year three. But they are the first team not to win their cha- uh, conference championship and be invited to the playoff. Um, Chris, I-, I know you're happy about it, uh, but is this a d- the decision that you uh, agree with? Well, yeah, you alluded to me freaking out over the weekend. I, I was freaking out over the weekend. I-, I was telling everyone that I was just worried that, that- I-, I just started to get a feeling that conference championships would win out. Now, for the listeners, it might be a surprise because on this podcast, I had been beating the drum that Ohio State was going to get in no matter what. I was very confident. But in that 11th hour, I was starting to really get nervous. And then when I saw Penn State come back, I, I was just on pins and needles. But it's clear the committee had Ohio State safely in, being the three seed. So obviously, my worries were, were just that, worries. To answer your question, is it the right thing? Of course it's the right thing. I think that the committee has gotten the field right every single year, and this year is no different. And I'm not just saying that as an Ohio State fan. You renew, move the names, okay? If, if Ohio State and Penn State were flipped, if Penn State was the one 11-1 and Ohio State had just won the Big Ten, I honestly, even though I'm an Ohio State fan, I certainly would have been disappointed as a fan, but... I would not have been mad in the sense that I would have understood that you reward teams for playing good teams in the non-conference. That is the biggest thing for me, is strength of schedule, quality victories. And when you look at Ohio State's resume, all the top teams they beat, they went out and scheduled another one in Oklahoma on the road in what was going into the season a rebuilding year, Bob. You and I both said Oklahoma was going to blast the Buckeyes. It was the other way around. So for Ohio State to do all that and come out 11-1 and one, and then by some kind of weird situation they didn't get into the Big Ten championship game, I would have been really mad if Ohio State, a one-loss team, was left out for a two-loss team that only really had two good win, two good games in the regular season, went 1-1 one one in those games, looked awful in one of them, and then lost to a four-loss pit team. Penn State, remarkable year, certainly beyond expectations for them they look like they're coming back but Ohio State had such an impressive resume that I just don't think they could have been denied yeah I, I think uh the 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 better team certainly uh was chosen between those two um you know that's not always uh 
the, the case, you know, there, there are some, uh, requirements that you have to meet to be considered part of, uh, playing for that national title. It's not always the, the four best teams that, that get invited that make it. But I think head to head Ohio state is a better team than Penn state, even though head to head Penn state beat them. Um, I will slightly disagree with you though. And I don't want to um, say that this is only, uh, a uh, benefit only afforded to Ohio State, but I think Penn State and Ohio State, in terms of their resumes for this year, they finished in in, in what you could account, amount to uh, as a tie. Um, Penn State had the win against Ohio State. Penn State had the championship uh, over Ohio State, whereas Ohio State, like you said, had a much stronger schedule, had one less loss. I think that resulted in a tie, and you can't tie a team like Ohio State. You have to beat them. And I understand Penn State did beat them, but we're talking about total body of work. And Penn State was not head and shoulders better than Ohio State. And in a tie, in a close situation, it's always going to go to one of those ultimate top cream of the top elite programs. If Alabama were in the same situation, Alabama would have gotten. If roles were reversed for Ohio State and Penn State, I'm pretty sure Ohio State would have gotten in as well. And I think I know that's where we disagree on this. And I'm not saying that that is a benefit only afforded to Ohio State, but it's a benefit that Ohio State has earned in their prestige and their current status as one of the elite programs. You know, Penn State certainly has history and all that, but Ohio State is one of the most dominant programs in the last 10 years, uh, last 16 years, really. Um, and they were, they're afforded a little bit more leeway. And so I think that regardless of who was in which role, I think Ohio state was destined to be in, in that playoff game. Um, fair or not, it it doesn't really matter. It's happening now. And I think, uh, ultimately Ohio state is a more talented, better team. So the playoff is probably better off having them in. Yeah. I disagree on a couple points. I don't think the resumes were even, I I get what you're saying with the head to head win. That, that is another big criteria for me. And that was the, one of the, the things that, really I thought would hurt Ohio State was that there was an on-field result. But but again, I said this before, I've made this argument before, you know, if a team is one loss worse than another team, head-to-head is always a tiebreaker in these situations. Ohio State had one fewer loss than Penn State. Penn State still was a two-loss team. And when you lose to a four-loss pit team, that's tough for me to forgive. Now, now, granted, I will be fair to Penn State. That win against Temple, who went on to win the American at 10-3, and three, uh, looks a lot better than it did. But when you compare it to a road win against Oklahoma, it's nothing. And honestly, Bob, I understand they play in the same conference, but not all conference schedules are even. And when Ohio State in the regular season had to play at Wisconsin and then against Nebraska, the two best teams in the West, whereas Penn State only had to play Minnesota, Iowa, and, and, you know, not the cream of the crop in that other division, Purdue, their other crossover game, they definitely got a watered-down version of the schedule. Ohio State, just to keep pace with Penn State, had to beat the two best teams in the other division just to get to the conference championship game. Penn State didn't face a good team from that division until the conference championship game. I don't agree that the resumes were even. I do believe Ohio State got in on merit. I also disagree that that the brand played into this because... Penn State is not some chump brand. I mean, a, a lot of people were saying that all over social media. 
I mean, Penn State has tradition, has a huge rabid fan base. There was one year in the BCS, a bowl wanted Penn State ahead of Ohio State. I mean, Penn State is a huge blue chip program that I'm sure the playoff networks would have been just fine pinning them against Alabama in that Peach Bowl. If Penn State had gotten in over Washington, I'd buy that argument a little bit more because that would have been a dream of a matchup, Penn State-Alabama, from a branding standpoint. But I don't want to hear that that Ohio State's brand played in against Penn State because it's not like Penn State is some chump school that's never won in football before. They've got a huge tradition, a huge following. Their fans travel. The ratings and money and cash would have been there for Penn State, too. So I don't think that that factored in that much. Yeah, I just have to disagree with you. I don't think – I certainly understand that Penn State has history and has been a quality program. But I'm talking about the very, very elite. They're going to afford a little bit of leeway. And OSU is one of those teams. I think Alabama is another one. Um, I think there might be one or two other teams out there right now that could have that sway that, you know, they they, they are favored in a tie against any other team. And again, I'm not I'm not saying that's why Ohio State got in. I, I think that Ohio State is a better team and you certainly can argue that they deserve to be in it, which I think they do. I just think that uh, if the roles were reversed, I, I, I still think we would be looking at Ohio State in this playoff. I, I think that um, brand—it's not—it's not brand. It's just presence. It's presence of mind right now. And Ohio State is certainly one of the the top, if not the top, team in all of college football. And the playoff committee clearly wanted them in the playoff, and not not only ranking them fourth but they're, they're ranked third right now so I, I think I think that did certainly had something to play in it um, and to not acknowledge that I, I think uh, it, it's not I don't know I, I, I think I, it certainly ha- had a role in it so I, I disagree with you for one reason can, can we both agree that Washington of the five teams in the top five Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, and Penn State has the weakest following slash brand. Yeah, but I don't think that there's a. I don't think you can make the argument for putting in Penn State or Ohio State instead of Washington. Washington is a conference champion with one loss. I think that they they were for sure going to be in there. Well, I I agree from that standpoint, but but here's the thing, Bob. There were people, many people, saying that it was very close between Washington and Penn State. Now, I'm talking about ESPN analysts, the selection committee. Washington's non-conference schedule was garbage. And Penn State's was better than Washington. Penn State was still a conference champion. And Penn State has a much better brand, much better following. And a Penn State-Alabama semifinal is a lot more alluring on paper than a Washington-Alabama semifinal. If there is a quote-unquote brand tiebreaker, like you said, Penn State would be the four seed. And and, and so I'm sorry, Bob. I I just completely disagree that that played into it because I feel that the committee backed up its points with qualified metrics. And Washington deserved to be there. I'm not saying Washington didn't. In fact, I, I have said the day of that the four teams I would put in there were all the teams that are in this field. 
I actually argued that Washington should probably be third instead of fourth, but that's nitpicking in my opinion. I think getting to the dance is the most important thing. I just think that 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 Penn State. I, I, I'm I'm kind of annoyed with how many people are under are just discounting their brand. They are one of the biggest programs in college football. They are a blue chip program. Yes, they've had some sanctions, but Bob, they are one of the 10 to 20 most desirable jobs out there. They have a rabid fan base. They travel. Don't tell. I mean, just. I don't buy it for a second that the reason Ohio State got in over Penn State was because of their popularity or their brand. I I, I believe that if that factored into the table, Washington would be sitting at home right now. Yeah, I, again, I don't think that it was take the best three out of that three. I think it was Washington's in. We are picking now between Ohio State and Penn State. Um, but anyway, Ohio State's in. Uh, let's be happy. That's a good. But I kind of disagree with that too. I know you're trying to move on, but. But if it was between Ohio State and Penn State, Ohio State would be seated fourth. Again, I guess I. Okay, I mean, are we gonna? Are we gonna? I don't want to. I don't want to jump back into this and and go through it again. I mean, I I think Ohio State has afforded some some luxuries that Penn State isn't. I understand they both have high brands, but Ohio State is other than Alabama the most popular school right now. I I don't. I understand that they they are both prestigious, but Ohio State is more. People want Ohio State in this playoff more than they want Penn State. I, I, that's what that's what I think, and, and I mean, we we can we can have, but, we can go back into it if you want, but I, I just that, that's what I think. I mean, all I'm saying here, Bob, is is the debate was on the table between Washington and Penn State. Ohio State was seated third because they were safely in. I mean, that that is out there. That has been documented. It wasn't between Ohio State and Penn State. To me, it was between Penn State and Washington. And the lesser brand won out. And, my, and so I, I just don't think that that argument has much merit. That's all I'm saying. I don't think people are trying to say that. People are trying to put that to the table. I don't think that the branding had much to do with these decisions because the weakest of the five got in and they were the ones on the bubble as it's been reported. So I, I, it wasn't between Penn State and Ohio State. Ultimately, the bigger brand lost out. All right. Well, we will certainly uh, see some of their merit uh, come to fruition in, in the playoff, and, and Penn State is the odd man looking in. Uh, has a Rose Bowl, Rose Bowl draw against USC. Uh, I think that could be a very interesting matchup. Um, no other questions. I mean, Clemson and Alabama seem kind of no, no-brainers. no uh, They won their conferences, and, and that was kind of uh, for sure that they were going to be in the playoff. Um, what about those other uh, – New Year's Six Bulls. Obviously, we talked about Penn State, USC. Any names stick out? Any omissions that you're concerned about? Yeah, I feel like Colorado has reason to be frustrated right now. I, I really do. I think that Colorado thought it was going to the Rose Bowl because it won USC's division. Um, but ultimately, head-to-head record played back in, and USC did beat Colorado head-to-head. Um you know that that certainly could be a situation. Uh, not to get back into the brand conversation, but that certainly could be a situation where a bigger brand kind of won out. And initially, that was my thought. But then I looked, and you know, USC had a very tough loss to Alabama in the non-conference. Now, Colorado also lost to Michigan, so they both challenged themselves. I, I think the committee just kind of looked at head to head and said, you know what, USC beat them on the field, they get to go to the Rose Bowl. But I really thought Colorado would be the team there. 
Um, you know, they'll get to go to the Alamo Bowl and play Oklahoma State, but but it's not quite as uh, prestigious. So that was the one kind of uh, semi-surprise. Um, obviously, it's always uh, you know tantalizing to see uh, a MAC team or a non-Power Five team in here. And Western Michigan at 13 and 0 certainly has a lot to be proud of uh, taking on Wisconsin. Um, so so they'll get a chance to prove themselves on the big stage. Um, and then then uh, you know. Oklahoma Auburn could be fun, and, and Florida State Michigan uh, also could be fun. So New Year's Six is solid, but but I think Colorado, man, uh, to finish tenth in these rankings and, and not get an invite to one of the New Year's Six, it's got to be kind of frustrating. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Colorado certainly has a a, a gripe. Uh, this isn't the first time that a team has gone up against uh, you know potentially winning their conference and, and talking having greater aspirations of going into a playoff or a national title game end up losing that conference playoff game and then end up losing their chance for a new year six game because they also lost that game and another team sat at home which is kind of what played out between colorado and usc uh, obviously we i mean brand for sure i mean who doesn't want usc in the rose bowl i think that's pretty obvious but still like you said uh, usc is eight and no in their last eight games they have win against colorado win against washington as well um you know th- that poor start aside that USC might be uh, the most talented three loss team and, and the hottest team in, in all of college football right now um, or, or one of them for sure so I think they're deserving um, I think it's unfortunate that you stick your neck out uh, in a conference title game and that loss negatively impacts you um, but that's just kind of how it has always played out for, for teams uh, in the past um, the other games are, are certainly intriguing um, and, and not to cut you off, Bob, but I know exactly what you're referring to is the injustice of Florida getting in over Georgia a couple of years back. That was garbage. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's that's but one example of it for sure. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, look at Auburn is is playing uh, the Sugar Bowl. Florida uh, g- had to play Alabama, and, and they're playing in the Outback Bowl. Now I know Auburn also played Alabama and, and all that, but still, it, it happens from time to time. But yeah, that was that certainly uh bothered people and, and including people in my house for sure um the other games uh they look they look interesting um i, I don't know i don't know if auburn is deserving of that new year six invite um I, I think it's just that a lot of the teams in the sec <laughs> fell off uh the wagon uh in, in the second half of the, of the season a lot of injuries to some of those quarterbacks for sure um I, definitely interesting i mean Chris, uh, a lot of Big Ten's teams uh, playing in these marquee bowls. Uh, Is this a a statement uh, already made by the Big Ten, or do you think that they have to come through on some of these games? Well, to answer your first question about Auburn, the only reason they're there is because of the requirements to take certain teams from certain conferences. Um, It's unfortunate that I I think Colorado should be in over Auburn. I don't think a four-loss team should go to the New Year's Six. Um, and I'd be saying if it were a Big Ten team, too, I, I didn't think Illinois should have gone to the Rose Bowl that one year and break up the USC-Georgia matchup. That was 07 when Georgia beat Hawaii or whatever. But to answer your question, this is certainly a statement by the Big Ten. I mean, you got four teams in New Year's six games, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Wisconsin. Um, it's it's a good thing right now. If you go 0-4 in those games, it might not be a good thing. But if you if you step up and win three, I mean, that's certainly a big statement. I think you can afford to lose one unless the one is the playoff game. 
uh, then it might not look so good. Uh, Nebraska got a pretty good invite as well. Uh, I was playing in a pretty in a New Year's Day bowl game. So the the Big Ten every year plays the toughest bowl schedule because they have the most New Year's Day bowl tie-ins. That's that's the only reason they play so many big games is because their conference wisely signs these contracts for a lot of money, for a lot of exposure, for a lot of prestige. And it's paying dividends right now. I mean, you know, the, the, the bowl Louisville is playing in is traditionally a Big Ten bowl, but Louisville is there because the Big Ten had so many teams taken up by the New Year's Six. So the, 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 the Big Ten had an outstanding year this year, but I do think that, that there is more work to be done. They need to put an exclamation mark on it by stepping up and really performing well in these New Year's Six. Man, if they could win three or even all four of these games, uh, that would just be the changing of the guard will have officially come. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, Bob. I know you're in, you, you argued for the SEC last year. We had that big podcast. But I think it's pretty clear that the SEC this year is not what it was. I mean, when your second-best teams have four losses, I, I'm sorry, I, I just can't get around the SEC being the best conference this year. I don't think it was. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to say that it was the best conference this year. Um, I think that you know when you, when you talk about that argue, argument for the best conference, you look at long-term trends. So uh, this could definitely be the the shift in, in the dynamic and, and could be an announcement and arrival if if the Big Ten wins a lot of those marquee games. Um, but they, they would have to do it consistently. I'm not saying they have to do this every single year, but um, they'd have to start doing it pretty regularly for you know to, you to say that there's a changing of the guard going. We still have at the top, we have Alabama and Ohio State, you know, vying for that national title. Um, the rest of the the teams in those conferences need to step up and, and make their marks as well. So um, it'll certainly be interesting and, and certainly uh, is an opportunity for sure. But um, I think they have to come through, absolutely come through on a lot of these games and have more than a, you know, win, have a better than 500 record in, in these games. Um, and then, you know, if, if we're going to talk about conferences, best conference in the nation, uh, they'll certainly carry that short term into the next season but um you know you have to kind of start repeating that uh, certainly i do think the dynamic started to shift a bit in 2014 because the big 10 had a very impressive bowl season that year now last year michigan state and iowa kind of set them back a little bit with with bad losses to alabama and stanford um but but this year the big 10 is positioned not only with marquee games, but but I am confident in Michigan and Wisconsin's ability to win these games. Um, and I'm, I'm also confident in Penn State after what I saw and the role that they're on. Now, I think USC will be pretty tough in Pasadena. That's the one I'm most worried about. Um, and, and obviously worried about Clemson, too. I don't think Ohio State is a shoe-in to win in the semifinals. We'll, we'll talk more about our picks next week when we uh, do our second annual college bowl bonanza pick every single bowl game because uh, it's hard to believe Bob they're going to start on the 17th man it's like there, there are way too many of these games anyway um, but but say Ohio State say, say the Big Ten makes a big statement and then it's Ohio State Alabama for the title which obviously is the title everyone wants the last two champions going head to head I mean except maybe Florida and Michigan fans I don't think they want that but but most people want to see that marquee game Urban Meyer and versus Nick Saban um it, it would kind of be a symbolic 
fork in the road if Ohio State were to win that game on the heels of a 4-0 New Year's Six. That would be the Big Ten saying, it's our time now. And I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know if Ohio State's going to be Clemson. I'll have to make my pick next week. Um, I think teams are people are underestimating Washington a little bit too, but uh, it certainly has uh, an, an enticing feel to it if that matchup were to materialize on the heels of a successful Big Ten uh, New Year's Day. For sure, there's definitely potential. Um, the the long break also you know provides a lot of wrenches. Um, really unexpected things happen in some of these bowl games, so. Um, we'll, we'll definitely make some predictions, uh, next week and, and talk about what's gonna, what we think is going to happen. We're going to have our second annual college football bull bonanza episode next week. Uh, we're going to go through every single bull and, and pick them, spend some time on, uh, some important ones and, and gloss over some of those really ridiculous ones down, down ballot. So that'll be really fun. And, and we'll definitely get into some predictions, some ana- analysis of these head to head matchups. Um, my favorite part of this podcast is just saying all the bowl names. Yeah, they've changed. Uh, some of them have changed. I, I looked at the list today. And I was like, that did not exist last year. I, I'm pretty sure. Bob, I read somewhere that there were only 75 teams eligible for 80 bowl slots. Yeah, that's a problem. That, that's a sign that you've got way too many of these things, man. And, and honestly, they need to lob off all but eight or seven and just integrate them into the semifinals you got four new year's six bowls played on the 17th the other two semifinals on new year's day and then the title game that's how it should be man 18 playoff get rid of all the fat and give us what we really want a little more playoffs i think eight teams is perfect that would be the ultimate way to end this season i'm honestly man we're gonna pick a lot of them I'm probably not going to watch 80% of them. Yeah, same. I, I won't watch majority of them for sure. Um, yeah, I think there's definitely some fat that can be trimmed or swamp that could be drained, whatever reference you want to make right now. But um, we're going to preview them all. So we're going to talk about <laughs> them all next week for sure. Um, so stay tuned for that. Um, switching gears, though, moving to the MLB. Um, not exactly a direct Indian story, but uh, – in in the late hours, the MLB uh, did come to an agreement for a new collective bargaining agreement. There will be no lockout, no strike. Um, good news for, for everybody. But, Chris, have you had a chance to read into what was agreed upon? Um, any key takeaways that, that you are, are looking at? Well, a couple of key takeaways, and that is qualifying offers are gone. That was one of the biggest things that uh, – was really affecting free agency. So not losing a draft pick for these guys uh, certainly is going to be enticing. Uh, I mean, not enticing, is going to, to, to probably uh, have free agency return to the way it was pre uh, the last labor agreement, a little more spending and a little more spending early on. The hot stove might sizzle a little bit more. Um, you, you had big name guys waiting till January, February before they get signed sometimes. Uh, so, so it kind of turned down the hot stove a little bit. So that that's pretty big as well. Um, I also think that uh, the rules regarding international players uh, certainly is intriguing, that they're finally starting to put some caps on spending. I always thought it was weird that 
you know, if you, you're in the States, you have to go through a draft and you have to spend seven years on a not very good value contract. And if you grow up in Cuba, you can defect to America and get paid $50 million right away. I mean, it, it just didn't seem fair to me that the international guys could just sidestep the draft like that. So it's good to see some caps being placed on the international level. Um, and so, so that that's those are the two main takeaways. The third one is, thank the Lord that this all-star game deciding home field in the World Series is dead and gone. Um, I, you know, I, I felt bad for the Cubs a little bit because they won more than 100 games and they didn't get to host the World Series. This is how it should be. The team with the best record should get to host it. Um, thank goodness that that, that is gone because I did not like that rule at all. Yeah, I thought it was a silly rule, so I'm glad that it, it's gone. Um, it was an interesting experiment and a, and a necessary reaction, I guess, from that uh, you know tie that the Bud Selig announced uh, about 13 years ago now at this point. Um, so good to see that that is gone. I, I also am glad that uh, the amateur – uh, free agency pool for the international uh, players uh, has been capped a little bit. It's not exactly what uh, the grand idea is that they're discussing having an international draft, which I think would have been really beneficial to to a lot of the smaller market teams that aren't able to shell out uh, a huge amount of money. Because still, if the international players uh, at a certain age, they can still enter unrestricted free agency and uh, almost immediately be outpriced by uh, you know, 15 teams are out of the running to, to sign that guy. Um, but it's a step in the right direction and a lot better than what it was just last year with, um, you know, some of these teams, the Red Sox in particular, just spending ridiculous amounts of money on, on players that really haven't come to fruition. So that's good. Um, and I, I am kind of disappointed. I understand uh, from an individual perspective, you know, you want to make as much money as possible and not be restricted by your options. So it's good for the players that the that uh, the the options uh, and the draft pick compensation is gone uh, for free agents. But it, it did help teams like the Indians recoup some losses for, for losing guys. And I think as a fan of a small middle market team like like the Indians, um, that, that's doesn't I, I'm not exactly excited about that. Um, you know, giving another benefit to a larger market team being able to spend as much money as they want. I understand that there are harsher luxury tax penalties being implemented, but um, the, the Indians definitely benefited from that uh, little wrinkle in, in free agency. So, yeah, I'm the other thing I like about this bargaining agreement is the uh, harsher tax penalty as well. Uh, it's good to see big spenders get dinged, especially being from a small market. Uh, team and and I agree with you Bob Uh, those first round draft picks did help teams like the Indians and the A's uh, who couldn't afford to sign these guys I kind of wish they could have reached a better compromise uh, than this one I I don't like that teams are are going to only get compensated if the team's over the tax something like that and it's only going to be like a third or a fifth round pick so so definitely the compensation goes down that's that's a loss for the teams I kind of wish they would have just said, hey, everyone gets their first-round draft pick, first 30 picks. If you lose a free agent that rejected a qualifying offer, you get a sandwich pick between the first and second round. 
that's it. Like the team that signs it doesn't lose his draft pick, so there's no penalty for that team signing him. But the team that loses the free agent then would get a sandwich pick, just an extra pick between the first and second rounds. Those are that's something the MLB has done for a while, even before this current system of compensation. So so I don't I don't particularly like that that it's going away completely. I think they could have found a way to to satisfy both parties and um and kind of met in the middle yeah for sure it it seems like uh that most of the compromises seem to be kind of middling or or non-impactful to uh you know affecting large teams or small teams but that right there definitely was a was a loss for some of those small teams Uh, you know i remember you know michael Bourne and nick swisher were, were direct results from teams being hesitant to give up a first round pick for him. So the Indians were able to, to kind of come in in the last minute and, and sign those guys. Uh, likewise. And on top of that, because the Indians had a top 10 pick, they didn't have to forfeit right. a draft pick for him. So that was a win win for the Indians. Well, at the time, it right? Was. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it just enabled them to be able to, to negotiate. And, and, you know, I think they've now been priced out of, of another tier of free agents and, and that's unfortunate, but, uh, it happens. I, I understand that there are 30 teams. They all negotiate whatnot. Um, but it does. It seems like the Indians are. And it, they'll be okay. I mean, it's not going to be the end of the world. But I do think that they're worse off than they were in the CBA than they were in the previous CBA. Yeah, I do, I, and I agree. I don't think it's the end of the world because at the end of the day, the compensatory picks. Look, you're you're still taking a chance on the guy in the draft. So, and it's the baseball draft. You, you know those may or may not pay dividends for three or four years. So so I, I get it. I don't think it's a huge loss, but but I agree with you. I do think it will affect the Indians. Uh, something else that might affect the Indians, Bob, can you believe that the Indians and Inwin, Inwin Encarnacion are, are being rumored, like the Indians actually being in the hunt mildly for this guy? Yeah. I, I, I certainly never would have thought I'd see that being tweeted out. Yeah, it's, it's pretty surprising. Um, I, I, th- I would... I would be surprised if if this if we hear anything more uh, than this little brief mention and the Indians, you know, exploring replacement options for Mike Napoli and seeing how much Encarnacion is, is commanding right now. But um, yeah, th- I mean, there have definitely been years where you told me that and I would have laughed you out of the room. So I, I think it's a it's a good sign. The bad sign is it sounds like the Astros are closer to a deal with Encarnacion than the Indians. Uh, more more reports out saying that Houston seems to be the front runner. But I mean. Who knows, man? I mean, if the if the Indians are in there, there's there's a chance. So that that would be fantastic. I mean, yep. you know, I liked Napoli last year, but if we can get Encarnacion, that's that's certainly a a big upgrade. Yeah, for sure. Um, def- definitely be interested now that the CBA has been struck. Uh, you know, deals are falling in place a lot quicker, and and um, hopefully the Indians will be involved on on something at least, uh, if not Encarnacion. Um, moving on though to our final topic, the the Cleveland Cavaliers riding high. Last time we talked about him, uh, seemed unbeatable. Well, they've gone on to lose three in a row, uh, two pretty bad losses to the Bucks and, and the Clippers. Clippers on, on national television, they lost almost by twenty points, and then uh, losing a close one again on national television uh, against the Bulls. But when I say on national television, I mean the Cavs. I think half of their games are on national television this year, so that's not like a <laughs> 
it's not like they ruined their one chance to make a statement or whatnot. But Chris, I mean, three in a row, uh, is, is that concerning to you even this early on in the season? Not really. Um, but realistically speaking, I mean, well, first off, anything that happens before the All-Star break, minus LeBron or one of the big three getting hurt, is not that concerning to me. So, so I'm not going to overreact to this. This is not that big a deal. Um, I do think LeBron's right that that the honeymoon's over. That it's you know this was a bit of a wake up call. That hey, you know you've been enjoying your championship, you've been riding high, but but it's time to get down to business. Um, the Clippers loss I, again. It was on national television, but it was the front end of a back to back. I think that they may have wanted to beat the Bulls more than the Clippers just because of them being a division rival um in that situation I know the Clippers have the more are more likely to be a bigger threat in the playoffs but I also think that LeBron and D Wade having the friendship that they are I do think the Cavs are playing more strategically with their back-to-backs and they probably went all in on the Bulls game more so than the Clippers game even though it was on TNT uh, so I'm not too concerned about that. I, I think the one that disappoints me the most is the Bucks, because, I mean, that's a team that you should probably not get blown out by. I mean, I understand if you lose, certainly bad teams beat good teams all the time in the NBA, but but I don't like seeing a blowout against a team like the Bucks. That that one's concerning, and, and J.R. Smith needs to not, like, you know, be giving people yeah. hugs <laughs> when there's basketball no yeah for sure i i don't care uh about either of these losses individually more than the other uh a three game losing three in a row i mean that's the start of a losing streak uh, and elite teams the teams at the top of these conferences don't go on very long losing streaks and they don't go on many losing streaks so um hopefully they'll be able to turn that around and, and at least and and write the ship quickly uh and I, i'm certainly I'm very confident that they they will be able to do that. Um, I, I am concerned that you know against the Bulls, only eight Cavs played the the entire game. I I understand you know the emotions and whatnot, but come on, this is a game in late November, early December. And give these guys a rest. I mean, LeBron almost played the entire game. Uh, that's that doesn't seem necessary to me. Um, and as soon as Kevin Love won Eastern Conference Player of the Week, he went into a little bit of a slump. So it's not surprising that they're struggling a little bit. J.R. Smith as well uh, still continues to struggle, hasn't really found his shot, and, and that's contributing. Um, but there's nothing like uh, – I'm, I'm not seeing any smoke or fire or anything. I, I think that this is the one – the first road bump of this season, and I'm, I'm pretty confident that they'll just be able to turn it right around and start winning some games again. Oh, they got Toronto tonight, so uh, hopefully that would be a good uh, cure for this losing streak because Toronto's playing very well right now and uh, certainly uh, showing that they're not going anywhere after reaching the Eastern Conference Finals last yeah. year. Um, and, and I also think LeBron was just mad he had to wear that Cubs jersey yeah. and he just wanted to show up D-Wade on, uh, you know, I think that may have played into it too. But again, look, you said it best. I mean, look. Great teams don't go on losing streaks like this, but they do happen. I mean, it's not the end of the world at this point. Now, if we're sitting here next week and we're talking about like a six-game losing streak, then I'll worry a little bit. But it's December. I'm not going to push any I'm – not, I'm not anywhere near the panic button yet. Yeah, likewise. I think they'll be okay. I was surprised. I guess I, guess I was a little surprised that the Cavs lost that big to the Clippers because they have had a history of just owning the Clippers – 
uh, it, it, when LeBron's on the team. So I thought that was surprising. But again, uh, it's not very concerning to me. So I, I think they'll certainly yeah, playing at Toronto. I can't guarantee that win, but they're, they're certainly going to end this win streak pretty pretty quickly. Hey Bob, did you hear? What's that? The Browns have found a way to lose on the bye week and are now chasing 0-17. Oh, wow. <laughs> Just kidding. I, oh. I mean, we can't go through a podcast without mentioning the Browns a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it they didn't very, lose this very week. positive podcast until you brought that moment up. I don't know. I mean, Robert Griffin III it, might start this Sunday. What, what are your thoughts on that, I guess? Uh, hey, this was the game I circled. Cincinnati at home out of the bye week. I think this is the one chance they have to win. And if they lose this one, it could. this could be the only week they don't lose this year. I, I think they're going all the way 0 for 16. Uh, I, I think if Griffin is good to go, why would you not at least trot him out there and see what he's got? Because uh, he hasn't really played a whole lot since injuring himself that first game, so you don't really know. Um, and you can't get any worse. He's fresh. You can't get any worse than what you got, so... Um, why not? But I, I don't. I don't think the Browns are going to win a game this year. Oh no, I don't think they're winning this week. I, I was referring to the bye week being the only week they don't lose. Oh, this year. oh, gotcha. You're making a joke. I was being serious, <laughs> trying to talk about the Bengals. <laughs> um, but in other football news, uh, as people of this podcast know, I am a Patriots fan too, and uh, my boy Tom Brady. 201 career victories, uh, one of two quarterbacks, and, and we all know who the other one was. Peyton Manning got his 200th in the Super Bowl, which admittedly is really cool uh, to break that record and get 200 in the Super Bowl. Uh, that's quite the alignment there. Uh, but 201, man, Bob, this it's pretty impressive. I just think that that is insane. Yeah, it's certainly pretty impressive for, uh, for, for a quarterback to do, a sign of longevity and talent and and ability um you know not to to pivot real quick but uh that that loss i mean or that win uh might be a little bit bittersweet with with gronkowski you know being out with his back surgery for done for the year i know it didn't happen in that win but um you know a chink in in the armor of the patriots it seemed like the clear favorite to win the afc uh, certainly concerning, uh, but that is the reason they went out and got Martellus Bennett, who, while is not Rob Gronkowski, still has that physical size and speed mismatch that they like to run their offense through. So uh, it's not, not as dire as it was in years past when, in the heels of the Aaron Hernandez incident, uh, they didn't really have another tight end. Um, but now at least they have uh, Bennett as an insurance policy. Uh, so, so at least from that standpoint, it's, um, I don't think it should be as bad and underrated man, LeGarrette Blunt has just been crushing people this season. The power run game for the Patriots is back in full force. This is the kind of running attack that they haven't had since Corey Dillon. So, uh, I also think that will help mitigate the loss. And you're right, Bob, in years past, Gronk goes out and it seems like they just fade in the playoffs. But I do think this team is made up a little bit differently. I think the Patriots kind of were like, hey, we've got Gronk, but at the same time we know his injury history. Let's get some insurance policies. And I think guys like Blunt and Bennett will help mitigate that loss. Yes, yeah, for sure. I, I, I agree with that. I think Bennett is definitely talented, though. Uh, didn't have a breakout game with, with no Gronk, only two catches for four yards against the Rams. It's because of Garrett Blunt was trucking. True, they didn't really need to throw the Did ball. You see that run he had? 
<laughs> Did you see that run he had where he just, oh, my gosh, it was just insane. Yeah, they didn't really need to throw the ball a whole lot, so I can't really uh, judge him too much for not ha- putting up a good game. Not to switch the subject to fantasy, but but since we're talking about this game, I was facing the Patriots defense in fantasy. And in our league, we have an eight-point bonus if a defense holds a team to less than 100 total yards. And I believe in the history of our league, since we added that bonus in 2007, it has never happened. I texted everyone. The only other time we could think of was one time against me. Uh, my opponent lost it in like the final minutes of a, of a game. I think it was the Ravens or Steelers defense back in 2007. So, so it's been forever. I mean, think about that. Holding a team to less than 100 total yards. The Rams had 97 total yards with like a minute 30 left, and then they get a 66 yards completion to help erase that eight-point bonus for me. I, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that the Rams aren't even going to get 100 total yards. They are, they are so bad right now, man. Yeah. Yeah, they cer- certainly are. I got beat because uh, I started a defense against the Seahawks and I lost by four points and the Seahawks are in negative, but, uh, or the Panthers defense are in negative for this year or this week. Uh, very frustrating, but I did not make my fantasy playoffs six and seven. I was one sack my opponent, the guy I lost out to, if I, he got one sack on Monday night football and beat me by two points. If he doesn't get that sack, I win the game, and then I beat the guy who qualified ahead of him on tiebreaker, so I would have been in if it weren't for that one sack. Mm. Frustrating. Stupid Vikings defense. Anyway, (laughs) that's all we got for this podcast. We uh, veered off the football topic because the Browns were on the bye, but hey, lots to look forward to in the coming weeks. The Buckeyes taking on Clemson. We will break all the bowl games down next week on our second annual College Bowl Bonanza. I'm really looking forward to it because – It was a blast last year. It'll be fun this year. So come back next week for that. Come back to FenleyRoadSports.com and subscribe to our podcast. We make it really easy for you with a little iTunes icon in the corner. But if you'd rather go to iTunes, just search Fenley Road Sports and click Clee Talk. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram, Fenley Road Sports. Come back for more. We're here every week with an episode of Clee Talk. And until then, go Cavs. Get off this losing streak. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Take it easy, Bob.